Hey friends, welcome to Girls Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships, and faith, and relationships, and self-confidence. About our calling in life, and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better, and easier, and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So today's episode is a big and super important one. Today we're talking about what to do if you or your spouse struggles with porn. Now I'm so glad we're doing this episode because porn has become a way bigger problem in our country and in our world than I think we sometimes realize. And it's not only affecting individuals, but also hurting and even destroying marriages. Because of that, I've received so many questions from y'all on this topic over the years, but they're questions I feel totally unqualified to answer. The thing is that while many of the things we talk about on the show are very much a part of my story and my marriage, porn just isn't one of them. I'm grateful for that, but this also means that this is a topic I can't really speak to. I don't have much insight or wisdom or advice here. That's why I'm so grateful for today's guest. Our guest for this week is Rosie McKinney. Rosie is an author, a speaker, a podcast host, and the founder of Fight for Love Ministries, which empowers women with both the facts and the faith to fight against porn addiction and its effects on them, their spouses, and their families. Rosie is a total expert, and not only is she here to remind you that you're not alone as you walk through this, she's here to walk you through it, helping you know what to do to find healing and freedom and redemption in this area of your life and your marriage. Today, Rosie's going to teach us how pervasive porn actually is and the harmful effects of it. She's gonna teach us what to do if we're personally struggling with a porn addiction. She's gonna teach us how to bring up the topic of porn with our spouse without having it be a shameful conversation that causes them to shut down. And she's gonna share with us some resources that we or our spouses can turn to if either one of us is struggling in this area. Guys, this is a big topic, but such an important one, and I am so glad that Rosie's here to walk us through it. So, you guys ready? Let's dive in. Hey friends, I'm so excited for who I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Rosie McKinney, and she has, this topic is so important. We get questions about this all the time. And so when I stumbled upon Rosie, I just, I felt like I won the lottery in in finding out about her and her work because um, I'm just so grateful that she's here to walk us through this really hard topic. So Rosie, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me and for opening up this conversation. I'm really excited about it. So before we dive in, I feel like I should give everyone a disclaimer and an apology. I told you this when we got on, but we uh, there's a house being built next door to my house. And it is it has made podcasting a little bit difficult. And so I have, like, you can't believe my setup right now. I'm in my closet and I have things like stacked all around me to try to block out the noise. But if you hear something that sounds like... I don't know, dirt being moved or a nail gun or something. That's exactly what it is. And I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> no, no worries. I have um, children being kept away by bribes. So who knows Perfect. how that's going to go. Okay. So if you guys hear construction or children, it means that like, <laughs> just give us, give us some slack because, you know, we're yeah. just doing our best here. <laughs> um, okay. So Rosie, tell us who you are, what you do. And I'm excited to hear a fun fact about, about you. My name is Rosie McKinney. I'm the founder of Fight for Love Ministries, and we're a collection of wives who are in porn-free marriages, and we share the faith and the facts to help other women fight for porn-free marriages. We just want to encourage and help, basically share with you everything we had to learn the hard way so you don't have to. And we've got um, my books coming out very shortly, and we have a podcast, a panel discussion group called Fight for Love. And we have a Facebook community group as well. So we're just reaching out in many ways to educate and support. Um, I'm married to Mark, Mark McKinney. He is a certified sexual addictions therapist. He, um, in a previous life, was a pastor. And he's also a recovering addict, porn addict himself. So we've got information from lots of different angles. Um, I've got two children. And my fun fact is I have a hobby, which I think is a bit like a superpower because I can actually analyze people's colors. I did a two-day course, which was just wonderful. Um, and I can tell, I can basically, when, within about 20 minutes, I can tell you what colors will make you look beautiful. And it's just a real encouragement to women. And I go out and I share this at retreats for, you know, cancer survivors or 
trafficking victims or for fundraising. And it, it's just something that really blesses me and blesses other people. And it is a bit like a superpower. That is amazing. I think that um, my mom, I remember her telling me when I was growing up that she had her colors done at one point. And I haven't heard people talk about it much other than her, um, but she would always tell me like navy, not black stuff because we have the same coloring and, you know, just things like that. Um, I'm like, now I want you to do my colors, Rosie. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? It's like, yeah. I want to know what makes me look beautiful. And it's really empowering, especially if you're fair. You know, there are some people who can get away with everything. But for other sort of colorings, I'm very fair. Me it's too. like if I wear the wrong thing, it makes me look ill. Yes. And even even if I'm feeling fine, people go, oh, yeah, you know, didn't you, you sleep okay? very well? Yes. Well. You're like, I did, but you can't tell because so, uh, I'm wearing orange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's my fun fact. I love that. Okay. I would love, you know, you you mentioned a little bit about your husband and the work that you guys do. I would love to hear you tell us your story. Like, tell us what happened in your marriage and how you guys got through it. And what, like, what about that process made you want to go, okay, this is our thing. This is our ministry. So my story is a little bit different in the details to most wives that I've spoken to and worked with in that the timing is very much different. But the arc of it, the general you know, the overview of it is exactly the same because what happened with me was that I called it, I said enough to pawn in my marriage really early, like seriously early, like day eight, like we got back off from honeymoon and it was so horrific. I went, that's it, I'm not doing this. But before you get too impressed with my assertiveness and boundaries, this was only because I had already, prior to becoming a, a Christian, been in a relationship with an unrepentant porn addict. And I had been on this journey before. I knew exactly how it played out. I knew that nothing I did was going to make any different. This was only going to get worse. And so when it happened in my in my beautiful new marriage, I was like, no, this is not happening. I know how this goes down and there is nothing I can do. Enough. Either you get help or I'm not doing this. And so it's very dramatic. See, what normally happens is that wife the reason that couples get into recovery is because the wife gets to that point. She says, enough. I've had enough pain. I've had enough disappointments. So what normally happens is that wives get to a, a point of desperation. And that's when they say enough. They have tried everything. They have worked as hard as they possibly can to improve themselves, to improve the marriage, to be supportive. And nothing is working until finally they've just had enough. And they go, either you deal with this or I can't do this anymore. So my whole ministry is to enable women to get to that point through education and support rather than pain and misery. So there's two ways you, you get to that point of saying enough, which is a really crucial moment, as I'll explain later. You either get it through basically enduring a really difficult, turbulent, traumatic time living with a porn addict who can't get sober and you finally just reach the end of your tether, or you can educate yourself to be able to proactively undertake early intervention and say, I love you too much. And I love our marriage too much to actually let this go on until it nearly destroys us. We're going to get help now. And that's my whole message. Early intervention, not crisis management. Mm. Okay. That's so good. So I know that for for most of us or a lot of us, we know that porn is a really harmful, damaging thing. But I don't know how many of us know, like, why or have, you know, any sort of stats around that or, or really could explain it to somebody else. And so can you talk to us, like, how pervasive of a problem is porn and what are some of the harmful effects of it? That's such a great question, because I think it, it, it validates what we're already feeling. I think instinctually we're going, no, this is wrong, but we can't articulate why. And that's why education is so key, because it's really helpful to understand that science now is backing up our instincts. It's also backing up what the Bible told us, you know, 2000 years ago. It's like porn is harmful. You know, sexual sin is really damaging. So statistically, going by current divorce rates, obsessive porn use contributes to half a million divorces a year. And research there, if you want to actually dig into the research, there are two sites that I recommend for, for listeners who are like, I really want to get my head around this stuff. There's um, Your Brain on Porn, and fight the new drug. Your brain on porn has all the, the academic studies and you can really get the, the 
you know, the, the, de- the detail and the data at source and then fight the new drug, they digest it for you and it's in a much more accessible format. So if you're really, really interested, I'm going to signpost you to those two things. But in a nutshell, pornography makes you dissatisfied, it makes you depressed and it makes you dumb. And let me just elaborate on that a little bit. Research has proven that porn is addictive. It is progressive. It makes you miserable. And in effect, it gives you, uh, it impairs your prefrontal cortex. It gives you brain damage in effect. It affects the brain in the same way as cocaine. Just like gambling or gaming, porn addiction is a process addiction. So instead of something being injected or ingested or smoked, the brain is actually producing those highly pleasurable, highly addictive chemicals every time you do this process. And just like with gambling, we know it's not the money that they're after, it's the thrill, it's the high that they get. And it's exactly the same with pornography. And the thing about pornography is that it's a progressive disease. It always escalates to darker and more extreme material. And that's why the sooner you can call this, the sooner you can start to take that proactive action, the better before it starts to get too dark and twisty. Because just like any other drug, you become tolerant to it. You need more and more. And I mentioned that it makes you depressed. It makes you miserable because during compulsive porn use, there's a buildup of a brake-like chemical which causes a baseline change in your happiness. So you get to the point where you actually need to access your drug, which is in this case, pornography, to be happy, to, no, not even to be happy, but just to be normal. You actually feel more unhappy without your drug than you would have done if you'd never had it. And the final point where I said it makes you dumb, which is quite a sweeping statement, but they have proven that heavy porn use causes a condition called hypofrontality. And this is what you get when you've had a car crash. It impairs the connectedness in your prefrontal cortex. It stops you being able to make rational decisions. It alters the way you're thinking. You're not thinking straight. You're not thinking logically. And this is the reason why there is so much tension often when you try and tackle this subject and a partner says, this is your fault. Uh, this is nothing to do with me. I don't want, you know, that they're not thinking straight. They literally do believe the justifications that they're telling you, which are false. It's so once you understand the science behind it, it, it really does help to take the shame out of it. And it also uh, it, it helps you overlook a little bit and keep you fighting for the marriage because you think my husband's brain has been hijacked. He is not thinking straight. This is why I need to fight for the marriage. Because if he was doing cocaine, you would have that understanding that he's addicted to something. He's not thinking straight. He is just um, consumed with the thought of getting the high from his drug because he needs it to feel normal. And you would go, okay, we need to do help. This is, he's not in his right mind. I am not, I'm not seeing my husband as he could be. I'm not seeing the potential at the moment because he's been hijacked. Yeah. Um, Rosie, I, I I didn't prepare you for this. And so don't worry if you don't have stats like in your back pocket about this. But, you know, throughout the years, I've gotten to partner with some ministries who do work specifically in Southeast Asia with like the sex industry mm-hmm. and uh, like human trafficking and prostitution and like sex slavery. I know that there's a connection between pornography and getting into some things like you said dark and twisty do you know the connection or have any statistics there yeah it it is inextricably linked pornography with prostitution and prostitution with sex trafficking they are all part of the same chain it's like cigarettes and cancer they are inextricably linked and not only that we have um we now have the correlation to crimes being committed by children So we've got this 400% increase um, of sex crimes of children assaulting other children. This is as a direct link of access to pornography. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm really glad I asked that. Oh, I feel like I need to sit with that for a second. Um, So one of the things that I want to be sure to talk about is we often talk about porn being a problem with men, but we know that this is something that women really struggle with as well, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. What are the, do you have some stats on that? Yeah. yeah, it's, um, it's over a third of young women now are regularly accessing porn. Um, and I think the numbers are, are over a third and, but overall of all the porn users in the world, a third of them 
are actually women. So this is the fastest growing user group. And you can see how the porn industry are capitalizing on this with porn specifically targeted to women. They've even tried to you know, brand it as feminist porn, which is an oxymoron, if ever I've heard one, um, because any, any um, I'm putting entertainment in quotation marks that condones and enforces and normalizes the exploitation and commodification of women is in no way feminist. Just because some women are saying that this is liberating and sexually empowering does not make it empowering and liberating for womankind in general. So it just shows how they're trying to, you know, um, give us this narrative that porn is okay, porn is acceptable. Even the um, the usage of the word sex workers now, they're trying to normalize it, but this is not a trade like any other trade. This is an exploitation of the most vulnerable of society. Even yeah. those who purport to get into this uh, voluntarily and they're making a living when they come out, they have a completely different story. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I need to just sit with this. Um, Sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. I gosh, this is so good. I seriously, I feel like I'm gonna need to go back and listen to our conversation again and like take notes and and just sit in it. Um but, so, but that's but that's Stephanie, why it's so beautiful that you've brought up this subject because we think that we're just tackling it in our own marriages or in our own um in our own lives, but actually the the ramifications are so much bigger. This affects not only your brain and your relationship, but the world. If we really want to make a difference in the world, we need to start at ground zero. We need to start in our own heads, in our own relationships. And that will magnify out because if there were no sex buyers, there would be no exploitation of women and children and men. Well, so speaking of speaking of starting in our own minds, I know that women are listening right now who are struggling with porn. And we know that it's an addiction. Like you've said, it's, it's not, it's not as simple as we'll just stop. How for the woman listening, who is thinking, I think I'm addicted to porn right now. How does she break that addiction? Like what can you walk us through a, almost a step-by-step if you can, of like, if, if that's you today, what do you do to get freedom? You need to find somebody who has been in the swamp and is no longer there who is going to guide you out if you are addicted. I think a, a good starting point would be to find out how addicted you are. And you can um, go online and there are online assessments and I can give you the link and we can link it in the show notes. Yeah, what is that? Um, that's a good starting point. So, you know, you can start to assess, am I going to be able to stop this with a bit of accountability or do I need more rigorous, maybe professional help? Um, because, you know, this is a, a brain disease and this is no reflection on you or your willpower. It's just that um, some people are more addicted than others, depending on, you know, um, your level of um, sexual experience. Because if you are sexually inexperienced, porn has a more potent effect on your brain, which is just devastating when you think about the effect on children and teenagers. So I really want to just get across, this is not your fault. This is so not your fault. Your, your fault. I'm not, uh, I, I've not struggled with pornography. I think I was born too early. Um, you know, I was born in the seventies, <laughs> but so my best advice would be would to signpost you towards two brilliant ministries. One is called Beggar's Daughter by a um, recovering addict called Jessica Harris and one called Dirty Girls Ministry. Go and check them out. They are going to be the people who are going to be able to actually lead you out of the swamp. But overall, how you get out of addiction is by walking in the light by being rigorously honest with yourself and with others. And I'm not suggesting that you go out and tell your friends and family. I'm suggesting that you find people who are safe and qualified. You need a support group um, led by somebody who knows what they're doing and other people going through it because they are going to be the ones who love you through this. They're going to be the ones who, who hold you accountable. And I just want to stress, it is possible. It is possible. And your life is going to be not just your life as it is now, minus the porn, but it's going to be totally transformed. All your relationships, all your expectations for yourself and your life and how you view yourself will be changed. It is worth fighting for and it is possible, but you do need to find good qualified sources of help. And I've given you two resources as a good starting point. Okay. We're going to absolutely link those in the show notes. Oh, Rosie, I wish I could give you a hug right now. I'm no. just so I'm just so grateful for your encouragement. I know that 
I've talked to so many women who are going through this right now, and there's so much shame involved. And it really does feel like, well, if I just had some accountability, then I should be able to kick this on my own. And Mm -hmm. it's just such a bigger deal than that. And a lot of times, like people's first time seeing porn isn't on their own accord or isn't of their own accord. Absolutely. And so if someone else like exposes you to porn, you, a lot of times you can't, you can't do anything about that. Like that's happened to you. Exactly. You have been hijacked, you know, and I think once you understand that, and we all understand that because there's this preconception that women don't struggle. And the question that when I go out and talk about, you know, this subject, and I do mention that females struggle, people come up and they say, not how can we help, but why, why are women Why are women looking at that as though there has to be something seriously wrong with them if they do that? And I just say to them, that is not a helpful question. That is completely the wrong question to be asking. I love that. I love that. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about porn within our marriages. You know, I know that there are lots of scenarios and lots of situations that people might find themselves in right now. But I know that for some women, they're sitting there and they're thinking, I don't actually know if my husband struggles with porn. Like my husband could have a porn addiction and I don't have any idea. We've never talked about it. And so how do like what is what does it look like to bring up that conversation in a way that's kind and gentle and open enough that like it actually is a, a safe place instead of feeling shameful or accusatory? So I would say that even wives who don't know that porn is going on. And that does happen to some women, about one in 10 get absolutely blindsided by it. They just discover it. I would say that even if they don't know that porn is going on, they know something. Their instincts, their spidey sense are telling them that something is not quite right. He's more distant. He's more critical. He's more withdrawn. And you're definitely going to feel it in the bedroom. Guys go one way or the other. They either go hypersexual, trying to you know, imitate what they've seen or want more frequent sex. And they're just, it just feels a bit off. He feels a bit distant or they become sexually avoidant and just they've conditioned their brain to prefer porn over actual sex with a real person. And it's really, it's really devastating if that is the uh, situation in your marriage, which is for 50% of people dealing with this, uh, wives dealing with this, um, because you naturally assume that it's your fault. You're not good enough. You're, 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 you know, not uh, satisfying him. So he's just no longer interested. So I would say that you're, you're going to know something is up. Um, so how do you bring it up? You know, how do you bring up this sort of lack of intimacy and how do you just switch the conversation onto porn? I would say the question that you need to ask is when did you last look at porn? Okay. Not do you look at porn because you can fudge that you, it can be like, you know, no, not really. Or, you know, do you struggle with porn? No, not really, because in their minds, they haven't done it for three months or something. So they don't struggle. So to actually give you actual, you know, data that that will help you inform what's going on and help you connect those dots to what's going on in your relationship and a possible linkage to porn usage, ask him when and how often. And the way that I'd start the conversation, I'm very happy for you to throw me under the bus. Like I listened to this podcast or I've read this book and I've been hearing all these studies and it's just really made me aware that porn is a massive issue. We've got what, 80% of guys in going to evangelical churches regularly doing porn. This is a massive project problem. I never knew, you know, we've never really talked about it. You know, I I hope you don't mind, but I, I, you know, for my own peace of mind, um, I need to know if this is an issue in our marriage. When was the last time you looked at it? You, you know, guys, you might go- that, that is like the best script ever. Rosie, I love that. That's, so, that's so doable. And like truly throw us under the bus. Be like, I was listening to this podcast that I listen to all the time about all kinds of things, but they just happen to be talking about this today. Totally. And that's just such a gentler lead in. And it just feels so much more natural than like being like, <clears throat> Can we talk? (laughs) Like, no no one wants to start a conversation that way. I know. I did hear advice once that said, book a date at a coffee shop. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, this is the conversation. Oh yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Um, So I think one of the fears then, so you bring up the, you bring that up and you ask that. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to ask the question and then I want to hear what you have to say. What if they're not honest? Or what if we're afraid they're not? honest about it. Yeah. 
And, and let's be realistic, that's going to happen in a lot of cases, because if a guy is addicted, his number one priority is protecting his supply. And that means keeping it a secret. And it's not because he doesn't love you. You know, it, it, he, that's not the motivation behind it. It's because his brain has been hijacked and he knows that this is going to have serious consequences that he doesn't want if it comes out in the open. And yet he's not able to give it up or he's not willing to give it up at this at this point. His brain is completely scrambled. So what do you do if, if your spidey sense is saying, hmm, there's something, there's something wrong with the relationship? I, I heard a story um, of a wife and she said, I'd have these dreams every night that he was having an affair. And then I'd wake up in the morning and I know he's not having an affair, but, every, but I couldn't shake this feeling that he was having an affair. Anyway, it comes out, he's been, you know, regularly looking at porn and she's like, oh, like something was seeping into my subconscious telling me something's going on. So I just want to validate those instincts. If he's not telling the truth, I I think you've just got to keep expressing that there's something, there's something not quite right with your relationship. Maybe it's changed. Maybe he's defensive or withdrawn or not expressing his feelings with you. And just be tenacious in your that there is something, there's something going on here and that you don't want to be a detective. And you've just heard all these um, red flags of what pornography addiction can do to a relationship. And there just seem to be all these red flags. Is he absolutely sure it isn't a problem? And a lot of guys do actually crumble and they are so devastated and relieved that um, if you're coming to them with not an attitude of, you know, how dare you do this, but kind of like, is this a problem? Because I really want to help because this is not going to help our marriage. This is potentially even going to hurt our marriage. You know, there, there are statistics that, you know, once somebody starts looking at porn, you've got, you're twice as likely to get divorced, three times as likely to have an affair. It's like, this is serious stuff that, so I would... Just be as open and honest as you can that there's something funny going on here. I'm smelling it. I'm not being paranoid. And and watch his reaction. I think that's the other thing. Is he getting defensive or is he like, babe, there's nothing wrong and yeah. everything else is smooth in your relationship or are the bits that aren't adding up? Yep. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Well, so, you know, we talked about this a little bit with, you know, our own lives, like for us as women, but I want to just ask it again we know talking about our husbands we know that it's not as easy as saying okay this is a problem i want you to just stop how did they start to get free from this once you know it's sort of out in the open and then what's our role in this because i think that for some of us we might feel like okay i need to be his accountability or i need to be i need to convince him of something or i need to make sure this isn't happening you know like yeah what's our <laughs> How do they get free and what's our role in that? That's a great question. So our role in it is very simple. Our role is to get him to somebody who can help him. Our role is not to fix him, but to get him to somebody who can. You are the person who throws him a lifesaver when he is drowning. You're probably the only one who knows that he's drowning. And so it's your responsibility because nobody, this is not like any other drug. You can't smell it on their breath. You know, they're not it's it's so hidden that you're probably yeah. the only one who is feeling the effects or is aware of this thing going on. So you need to throw them that lifesaver by saying, we're going to get help. Either you're going to reach out for help and or I'm reaching out for help. But either way, this situation is not going on as it, you know, as it has been doing, because this is only going to get worse. And what happens when you pass that person, when you pass your husband over to someone who can fix them, is that they then go into a program of um, becoming rigorously honest, walking 100% in the light. And there are two parts to this. So there is um, work that he will be doing with you because you are, you are part of the recovery in so much as this has had an impact on you, there is deception that needs to be undone and you need to express your feelings to him. You know, you are part of his recovery in that by sharing how this addiction has, how the betrayal and the deception has affected you is going to help him. But that needs to be managed by somebody else. You can't do that on your own. There's no point you trying to get him to understand how much has affected you on your own without help. It needs to be part of a process that's that's tightly managed. You know, you're dealing with an addiction here. Um, so you are part of it 
um, in that respect. But the other part of his recovery is a fellowship group, a really strong, well-run group of guys who are all committed to getting sober, run by somebody who knows how to get them sober. And these are the people who are going to get your husband sober for you because they will love your husband in a way that probably nobody has before in that they're going to tell him the truth, the brutal, honestly, honest truth. And he is going to share with them the truth of who he is, what he's doing, what he's thinking, and he will get honest feedback from them. And what gets you free is when you really reveal who you are and you are accepted and loved. And for the first time, you are authentically known. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to medicate the pain. You can actually just express it. So fellowship group and you will be part of the recovery process. And the other part of your journey is that you need healing. So that will be separate from his healing journey. You need support as well. So if you are dealing with pornography addiction in your marriage, you need a group of women around you. And if that can be facilitated, even better, because then you might work through material on trauma, um, maybe codependency. That's a big uh, part of this for many women. And and once he's been working on his stuff and becoming able to be authentic and genuine with his feelings. And so have you, because let's face it, if you're dealing with this and have been dealing with this for a long time, you've shut down a lot of your emotions to just keep on living. And you need to learn how to be, you need need to know how to own your reality and express that moderately and deal with all the pain and the trauma that's, that's occurred through this whole process. So you're getting um, more healthy and so is he. And then you can come back together But your one role at the beginning is not to fix him. Stop trying to fix him. It's not. Oh, your one job is to get him in the door. Hey, guys, I hope you're loving this conversation with Rosie as much as I am. Wanted to pop in for one quick second to thank our sponsor for this week. I'm really, really excited about this sponsor. And here's why. So if you guys have been part of our Girls Night community for a while now, you've heard me talk about counseling and how life changing it's been for me. Well, because I talk about it so much, I always have women asking me for recommendations for good therapists, and I've never felt like I've been able to truly help. I don't know therapists in every city across the country, and I've never known of a great central database of counselors until now. And that's why I'm so excited about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is a company called Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a website where you can get matched up with a Christian counselor for professional online therapy sessions. They're amazing because they help you get traditional mental health counseling, but from a Christian perspective, and you get to do it all online, all from the comfort of your couch, which is perfect for seasons like this one when we're spending so much time at home. Faithful Counseling has made the process of finding a great, affordable Christian counselor so easy. All you do is go to their website and fill out a form about yourself, about what you're going through right now, and what you're looking for in a counselor. And then Faithful Counseling will connect you to a fellow believer online through their giant network of licensed professional counselors. Once you're connected to a therapist, you can start communicating with them in less than 24 hours. You can also log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses back. You can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And the best part about it is you get to do it all in your PJs. I got matched with a counselor of my own a few months ago, and I have loved working with her. Especially as so much is going on in our world these days, I've been so grateful for the extra help navigating it all. And one of the things I love most about how Faithful Counseling works is that it is so easy and totally free to change counselors if you need to. I've always believed that for counseling to be truly beneficial, you have to find a counselor you really connect with. And oftentimes we don't find the right person on the first try. So then we're stuck going through the whole process of breaking up with our counselor, which is totally awkward, and then starting from scratch to find a new one. But with Faithful Counseling, they've made this so much easier. If you don't love your counselor, or if you find that you're looking for something different, you can switch by clicking a button. I did it. It's really easy. And switching is free. They really make it easy to find the best fit possible. And I love that. One more thing I wanted to make sure to mention about Faithful Counseling is how affordable they are. I love traditional in-person counseling, but it can cost more than $100 per session, which just makes it a total no-go for so many of us, especially right now in a time when so many of our jobs are in flux. But Faithful Counseling is significantly less expensive and they have financial aid available as well. Friends, if therapy is something you've been considering or something you think might be helpful for you right now, head over to getfaithful.com slash girlsnight to learn more about them. And... 
so happy about this. Faithful Counseling was so generous to give my Girls' Night listeners a special offer of 10% off your first month of counseling. So to check it out and to get 10% off your first month, just go to getfaithful.com slash girlsnight. Again, that's getfaithful.com slash girlsnight. Faithful Counseling, thank you so much for sponsoring our Girls' Night. I'm so grateful for you. All right, guys, now without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Rosie. Like, how do we find these accountability groups? How do we find, how do we find these people who, who know, know the way through? Great question, because there are a lot of groups out there and they have varying levels of success. And there are people professionally trained and there's an organization called ITAP. And we can put a link to that as well. Um, They're certified sexual addiction therapists and they understand how porn addiction works because it's slightly different um, counseling than you normally have. This is very directive because your brain is not working as, you know, it normally does. So you need to be told what to do. But you, just like AA, you can get sober um, without professional help if you have people who have been in the swamp and have walked the path and are no longer there and they know how to do it and they know how to be 100% honest. And if I was looking for a group for my husband or I was just basically checking out whether they are going to be a good group, I'd ask these questions. And this might be really unpopular, but this is your marriage on the line. I'd say, are you 100% honest? And do you collude with secrets? And by that, I mean, do you allow guys in your group to keep secrets from their wives? Because some groups do. And that's will not, that will not get the guy sober. Unless he is 100% honest with everything, he's not going to get 100% sober. It just doesn't work because you've got that, that route. You need to get 100% honest and and being 100% honest is really hard. Yeah. But if the, but if the organizers are okay with you asking that question, then I'd say that that's a pretty, that's a good group. Yeah. Okay. You know, What's their success rate? I'd ask that. I'd say, have you got sober people? Yeah. Okay, Rosie, I'm going to get, when we hang up, I'm going to get just a whole list of like any resources and any like databases or just anything you have. I'm going to, I'm going to get from you so that we can link it all in the show notes because as much as possible, I want that to be just a good place of like, just here, here are the resources I need, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We've got those on our, on our website, actually. We've got like a resource page. Okay, then we're going to link to that. That's perfect. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to go back to it. I think one of the most painful things about having a spouse who's addicted to porn is that it really can feel like it's a direct reflection on us, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're not good enough, not satisfactory, and so they're looking elsewhere. So, And then I think the other thing is, the other fear is like, are they comparing me to the woman that they saw that, you know, that in that video or that photo or that whatever, like, am I safe to be who I am and to look like I do? Or am I just falling short in all these ways? So can you just talk to us about this? Like, how much does this have to do with us? Okay, great question. So I think what would be helpful here is for me to explain actually what's happening in the brain when you look at pornography. Because once you understand that, you have this great sense of relief of kind of like, this has got absolutely nothing to do with me. I could be a porn star. I could look and act like a porn star and still I wouldn't be enough. So deep within our brains, there's a primitive reward circuitry that produces dopamine and a cocktail of other feel-good chemicals every time we do something that theoretically furthers our survival. So when we do an activity like eating or having sex, we are biologically rewarded. And this is what motivates us to repeat the behavior. The trouble is the system isn't foolproof. It can be hijacked by um, counterfeit substitutes. As you watch pornography, your brain is tricked into pumping out the same feel-good cocktail as it would when seeing or physically engaging with a real mate. However, if you were having a real romantic encounter, eventually you're going to feel satisfied. There's a natural built-in off switch for natural pleasures like food or sex. Dopamine stops being produced. This is what enables us to move away from the dining room table and out of the bedroom. Yet, here's the difference. With internet porn, there's no off switch. 
No off switch. The dopamine just keeps on coming. So you can literally binge for days. All you need to keep the dopamine endlessly surging is to click on something new, something more stimulating. The key here is novelty or surprise. In one session of porn, you can literally click on hundreds, if not thousands, of potential mating partners and flood your brain with dopamine. There is no way that any one woman can compete with that incredible high, that never-ending, supernormal high. And that's why, you know, all our efforts to compete are just self-sabotaging and so destructive to our to our own sexuality on, on in so many ways, or our sexual identity, I should say, in so many ways, because we're trying as hard as we can, and it's never going to work. And there are studies that have proven, even after watching a very small amount of porn, those people who watch the porn become more dissatisfied with their partner's attractiveness and their sexual performance. It really, literally does kill your sex life and your relationship and your intimacy. But it's nothing to do with you. It's absolutely nothing to do with you. And quite often, if not pretty much always, this is an issue way before they met you. This is way before they met you. So we're talking about that's that's so good. I, I had I didn't know that at all. That it's like it's not about competing or comparing or measuring up. It's you cannot measure up because the thing that's so intoxicating literally about it is is the novelty. And so because you are the same person, you you cannot be a hundred nope. different people in 20 minutes the way the internet can be. Um, nope. And so no matter what you look like, no matter what your sex life is like, you, I mean, there's literally, it's, it's not about you. It's about the newness. Exactly. And just the fact that they're getting a hit, then they're getting another hit and another hit and another hit and another. It's like trying to come. It's like comparing a Sunday dinner to cocaine. They're like completely different experiences had for completely different reasons. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So is we've talked about the fact that it is possible to get free from this um, and that life on the other side is not just as good as it was before, but it's so much better. But if we or our husbands have had our minds flooded with thousands or hundreds of thousands of images, is it possible to like, is it possible to heal from that? Like, is it possible to to get back to a place where our, like, in-person sex life does satisfy us? Not only that, it will be better than before. The brain is neuroplastic. It totally can rewire. God designed us, um, you know, to be able to heal from this. This doesn't mean that you won't always have a susceptibility and you have to be careful, just like an alcoholic. You know, you're not going to have a, you're going to stay away from it. I mean, you have to be careful and you have to, you know, confess if your mind starts going down that path, you're going to have to make your calls and be accountable. But absolutely. And this is the, you know, the reason that I'm so passionate about this, it's like I haven't got a big crusade against, well, I have got a big crusade about porn, but that's not my driving force. Um, my driving force is that life can be so much better. You are going to have a level of trust and intimacy that you didn't even believe was possible, not just because your husband is going to get changed, because you are going to get changed as well. You are, you are going to become, you're going to be forced to be more authentic with your feelings, um, that you might not even be in touch with yourself. And to be that vulnerable and authentic and known and loved with somebody else is incredibly special. And that's why I have a podcast with four other women who are like, I will absolutely share my story. I will absolutely share our struggles because when you're on the other side and you've walked through the, oh, it's very shameful and I don't want anybody to know, you get on the other side, A, you realize that everyone's struggling with this. I haven't met a single person who doesn't have a story of a loved one or someone they know or themselves who are struggling. And B, there's joy and there's freedom and there's hope and such blessings on the other side of it. It is so worth fighting for. It's really scary and it's really hard. And you might have a resistant um, husband, but it's worth it. It really is worth it. So like, is that something that's talked about in recovery programs is like how to start rebuilding your sex life together after all of this? Because there's so much trust and so much, yeah, there's so much trust and intimacy that's lost. And so like, is that something that they talk about? 
from my conversations with wives and all the research that I've done, sex is completely different. And this isn't something that you, I mean, you you might explicitly work on it, but this becomes a, a byproduct of the emotional intimacy that you have developed, possibly even created for the first time in your relationship. And what happens in recovery is that you have a period of celibacy. You have 90 days of drying out. Your husband's brain needs time to literally detox from the brain. And you need time. You need a break from, you need a time for your own healing because your the way that you approach sex or use sex or, or have feel about sex has been damaged through this addiction. And you need time to heal from that. And you, during that time of celibacy, and some wives are delighted by this. Some wives are resistant to this. Um, but they all say it's a really powerful time because you you are forced to find non-sexual ways of being intimate. Hmm. And so you're going to be communicating. So when you come back together, you've got both things. You have now got this foundation of emotional intimacy. And sex becomes so much more than a physical act. It's It really is how it was, you know, it, how it was designed to be which is marital intimacy. There's no point having disconnected sex with someone who's thinking about porn, you know, and saying that that's marital intimacy. It's not, there's no intimacy there. It's just disconnected. Um, So you need that emotional intimacy. And so it, it, it happens, it happens, but it might also be a time when you discover issues that you need healing from yourself. You might have past trauma, you know, or issues of sexual anorexia that now come to the front when he starts to get healthier that you now have to deal with. So it's a really powerful time for both of you to take a step back and look at how how you're both using sex and then to heal. What's sexual anorexia? I've never heard that phrase. It's just like food anorexia. It's a way that you control uncomfortable feelings by a compulsive avoidance of sex or anything sexual. And this can be a result of trauma that you have endured, or it can just be something that you have picked up through living in this culture. And let's face it, we have an extremely toxic, misogynistic, violent, you know, sexually violent society. And so women have sexual aversion issues that need healing above and beyond the healing that you're going to receive in the, as as part of your uh, recovery from porn addiction. And, and this is a good time because what many people don't realize is that sexual aversion, uh, sorry, sexual anorexia is the same controlling avoidance of reality as sexual compulsion. They are the different sides of the same coin. And we can put a link to that as well, if, if you wish. Yes. Yes. I would love that. Can you tell us like where, what are some of the organizations or what are some of the people or programs or like, do we need to be finding a specific sexual addictions counselor? Are there like, you know, international programs? Like what are... Yes. Yeah, there's um, there's a resource. We've got a resource page on our, on our website and there we have links to ITAP, which I think I mentioned before, I can't remember, the Inst- International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. And they have a national database of people that they've trained. Um, there are also um, links to online groups of what for wives, which I think is a really good idea. Um, so you can just immediately plug into a community of people who are trained and they might even offer like online coaching and things. You could ask your pastor for recommendations, but I would also say, you know, qualify those recommendations by just asking questions like, are you trained in this? Have you experienced in this? Have you got people sober from this? Because, you know, people with well-meaning intentions, you really do need to be trained in addiction because it is so tricky. It really is one of the hardest addictions to beat because you've got an open bar in your head. You really do need very um, rigorous um, structure around you to to help you walk this very narrow path. Okay. Okay. So we're going to, we'll link to that in the show notes. I'm so glad that you guys put that together. I really, I really appreciate that. So I've actually heard this question from a couple different women specifically who, you know, have gotten married recently. And, and I don't know if porn is um, something that they're struggling with or that their husbands are struggling with, but they mentioned that it's really hard living in our society that like our, 
you it's it's really hard to look anywhere without seeing something that's overtly sexual or seeing someone who's half dressed or totally naked. Like mm-hmm. it's just really hard to avoid. And and um I've heard multiple women say, you know, this is really hard for me when it comes to my marriage because I, I don't know what it almost like I, I don't want my like I want my husband to look away or or what does that look like? Or how do you have those conversations? Or um, I think that they're feeling some some jealousy, and which totally makes sense. And so I guess like I don't I don't really know how to phrase this question, but when we're not talking about porn specifically, but we're just talking about like living as a human in our world today, and how many like naked people there are everywhere. Mm-hmm. How do you have this conversation in marriage? Like what's what's each of our responsibilities? as like a husband and as a wife in this? I think think that's a really, a really interesting question and a really valuable question because so many women are struggling with that. It's, it's really hard. I think it would depend, um, the approach I would suggest on whether or not your husband, you know, either has a pornography issue or a wandering eye, whether you feel like he's, he is in some way, responsible for your feelings in some way responsible because that's a separate issue than just being in the world and being triggered and feeling you know body issues so if so I'll take it first of all if your husband you know if he is sort of in a in a recovery program or he you know some guys just you know, you're with them and they're looking around, you know, yeah. I've dated people like that. You know, some guys do and some guys don't, you know, it's just how it is. I would say that if you're with somebody who is in a recovery program and they're not particularly looking, but you're still being triggered, I would use this as an opportunity to increase your intimacy, your emotional intimacy and your authenticity. By that, I mean, there's a technique that I know my husband recommends to clients whereby she'll squeeze his hand when they're walking along. And that just means I'm getting triggered. And then she'll turn to him and say, I'm getting triggered right now. And he can say, how can I help you? You know, not that he's looking and she's, so she's acknowledging and owning her feelings. Yeah. So, because then it's a chance for her to be just real with where she is and like, I'm struggling right now. And I'm not blaming you, but I'm really struggling now. And he can turn to her and say, I I hear you. What can I, you know, how can I help you? What reassurance do you need? If she can be, you know, if she can really get to what's going on, maybe later, because quite often beneath anger, there is fear or, you know, shame or there's other issues. And so it's an opportunity for her to be honest. And then it's an opportunity for him to be acknowledged that yes, I've made this worse and I have looked at people in the past and I'm, and I am sorry about that, but how can I help you now? So that's, that's one way that, you know, this situation can actually increase your intimacy. But if it's a situation where you're with somebody and they just keep looking around and, you know, you, you know, it's going on, it's about boundaries. You have to set those boundaries and like, you have to explain that this is how it makes me feel. When you do that, because it is it is their fault, you know, if they're doing that and I'm, I'm not willing to put up with that and then look at their response. Are they, you know, do they get it? Are they say, you know, I'm sorry, I will make an effort not to do that. I didn't understand it was affecting you like that. Yeah. Or are they defensive? At which point you set your boundaries and say, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to go home or, or whatever. You need to be clear about those boundaries because you can't, you can't change their behavior. You can only set boundaries and and express how it's making you feel. Yeah. And it's his responsibility how he's going to deal with that. And then there is there's there are occasions when we've got our own issues and we've got to be honest about that. Like we're really triggered and we can't have this expectation that our guys are never going to have, you know, they're going to they might notice somebody, but they have a choice whether or not to look. You can't control their thoughts but they can control their actions. So there's a difference because sometimes wives who are extremely traumatized by relationships where there's a lot of deception and a lot of betrayal and anything is like, it's like a hair trigger. Any look, anything is really, really um, painful. And so they desperately try and control the person. Like, don't look at anything because I can't handle how it makes me feel. And at which point it's her that needs more help because Mm. she needs healing from that. So there isn't really one blanket 
advice I can give to that because it really does depend on the individual circumstances, but boundaries and expressing yourself. And if it is your issue more than his issue, then then you need help. And if it's more his issue than your issue, then you need boundaries. That is, that could not have been a better answer. I'm Rosie, thank you. That was so good. I feel like you really perfectly spoke to the different things that are going on there. Because sometimes it is like, sometimes it is his fault, but sometimes it's our own insecurity and and we're wishing that, it, yes, you just, you just described that perfectly. And can I just say, can I just say, because I'm now, I've just turned 45 and I've just hit that sort of invisible. Like if I don't dress up, I can be invisible and it's wonderful. <laughs> I saw this thing on Twitter, someone asked, when do you become invisible? And there was a huge thread of women going, you know, it happened to me at what, 39 or 54 or, or and they were all basically saying, it's awesome. It's wonderful. So I don't know what you're going to do with that, but I just thought I'd share with that, that actually it's okay, really so cool. When, when do you stop worrying about that stuff? Because you just are like, I'm not worried about it. Is that what's helping? Literally, you just don't care. And actually, it's really nice not to get those pervy glances. It's really nice. (laughs) I, I, yes. Okay. I love that. So Rosie, I know that in our, you know, in, in lots of corners of our society, porn is seen as a really bad thing. There are also parts of our society where it's seen as really normal. One thing that I was really surprised by, I didn't uh, watch the show Friends, like when it was on TV, I just Mm -hmm. missed it somehow. Um, but a couple of years ago, I went back through and watched every single episode on Netflix, like, you know, as as, as one does. Um, and I loved it, laughed so hard, finally understood so many inside jokes that people had been saying for like decades. Um, but one thing I really noticed was they talk about porn all the time on that show. And it's super normal. It's like everyone looks at porn and it's just part of our life and part of our sex life. And it's just something men do. And it just was, it stood out to me so much because it really is all throughout the whole show. And I'm thinking like, I was growing up, like this was such a huge cultural thing as I was growing up. And I, and I imagine that that like colored the way that people see this so much. So what if we're, what if we're with someone and I want to hear dating versus married. What if we're with someone who doesn't think this is a big deal? Like even, yeah, who just is like, this is normal. This is something that people do. I've actually got a magic wand for this one, for this question, which is brilliant. There is an organization called Fight the New Drug, and they have produced a three-part documentary. And it's a very hip, very cool, um, accessible explanation of exactly why porn is damaging. And it's not scary and it's not sensational. It is uplifting and hopeful and, and frames everything in you have these goals and aspirations for your life. This is how porn is going to get in the way of you achieving those goals. And it's got real stories. It's called Brain Heart World and they're short 30 minute episodes. And if you're struggling to, um, you know, justify why porn is bad and it's hard, these people have done it for you. So you can just literally sit down with them. And it's brilliant to show to, you know, kids as well. If you've got kids, you know, do show it to them, you know, possibly watch it first. Not, not little kids, of course, um, you know, but it's wonderful. And this is going to open up the discussion. So you don't have to justify or, you know, be the expert. Be the, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be the expert. They're going to do it for you. And, uh, I just think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful service that they have done and it's free to stream. I think you can buy licenses if you want to show it in your group or your church or something. Um, so that's that's one way I would I would do it. I, I think the other the other the other aspect of it is you need to explain how it makes you feel. You, you need to, uh, you know, I think if you can express porn makes me feel inadequate. Porn makes me feel like you don't want to be with me. It makes me feel like you're distant. It makes me feel like I can never measure up. You need to express those things because they might not realize, because as you say, it is so normalized. It is so insidiously implanted in all aspects of our world. Even even things you don't even realize, like on, you have like um, Instagram things, you know, like food porn or wildlife porn, you know, just they, we're just totally normalizing that phrase and it's, there's nothing normal about it. So if you can be honest with how it makes you feel, and then again, look to their reaction. If they're like, oh, you're a prude, 
you know, then you go, okay, we're going to watch a documentary. <laughs> I'm not being a prude. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Um, Rosie, this has been absolutely incredible. I am so grateful. And I know that you are just, you're making such a difference in the world and in so many marriages. And I know that there are going to be so many women who listen to this, who are just like, this is just exactly what they've needed. Um, so thank you so much for this. Um, oh. Do you have any just last pieces of encouragement, either for a woman who's struggling or um, for a woman who's um, married to a guy who is? I would say it's not your fault. There is hope. Freedom is possible and it is so worth fighting for. A porn-free life, a porn-free marriage will transform your entire life. I love this. Thank you so much, Rosie. Oh, you're welcome. I, it's, it's, I've always said, I wish I could go back and talk to myself like 10, 15 years ago and you've just made it happen. So, Oh, that makes me happy. <laughs> Friends, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I'd love it if you do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take a second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take one quick second to leave us a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you to all of you who've done that already. You guys have left the most beautiful five-star reviews and it means the world to me. All right, guys, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. And I'm so excited about this next one. I'll see you then.